This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior according to St. John. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is very deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believed, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated and pray with me. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. Come now, Spirit of God, fill us like living water so that we never thirst again. Pour your spirit of love, your spirit of grace, your spirit of power, and your spirit of relationship into our hearts so that we are changed people today, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God For salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God for everyone who believes. And I would assert that you believe. You're risking the coronavirus and you're here sitting kind of close to each other, although we do have boxes. 
But you're here because you believe. You believe. We may not always be able to explain what we believe or how we believe. Some of us who've been crockpot Christians for a long time have a mature faith and we can usually eloquently explain what we believe. And some of us who are just coming to Christ or are just being renewed by Christ, we sometimes stumble when others ask us about our faith. But you believe in some form, we believe in some form because that's why we are gathered here. And this church, make no mistake about it, is about relationship. For 300 years, this church has gathered. Mike offered me this book for my in-between times. The time in between St. Timothy's and Prince George Winya. And I'll tell you, every minute that ticked by, I wanted to be here. And the more I read this book, the, the faster I wanted to get here. Uh, Miss Lumpkin does an amazing job chronicling the history of this church. And in the archives in the back, she points out where every piece that's available at every setting was from, who gave it, and why it's here in this church. I, I commend this book to you. But one of the things it convinced me of was this church was all about relationship and all about understanding the power of God. And the way I know that is over that beautiful stained glass window in the back, her book points out that you can see, are the two Greek letters Alpha and Omega. John says in his gospel, I, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He was there outside of creation with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We're learning that in our Inklings book study. Gentlemen, if you don't have anything to do on Wednesday mornings, come join our Inklings book study. But Jesus existed outside of time at the beginning, the Alpha, and exists until he returns again and draws us to him forever, the Omega. In the middle of that is the Hebrew letters, Hebrew consonants, of the powerful God whose name could not be spoken. Yahweh. Say that with me. Yahweh. The Jews that Jesus talks about, the Jews that the Samaritan woman talks about, were people who believed in the power of Yahweh. And that power, up until the moment Jesus comes, is mitigated through priests and prophets and people like Moses, as we heard in Exodus this morning. Moses, boy, poor old Moses. I, I, you know, President of the United States, probably the worst job I think anybody would ever want to do, in my opinion. But secondly, it's probably Moses. Because he's not Jesus. But he is the deliverer. He's the one that everything about him points to Jesus. He's not Jesus. He's just exactly like one of us. And so is Jesus. But Jesus, of course, is fully God, too. But Moses and Exodus, once again dealing with the power of a grumbling people, the power of a disbelieving people. The people don't really believe that Yahweh is going to save them, that Yahweh is going to provide for them, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. They don't believe it. So their power that they're under is doubt. Romans talks about the power of sin. And boy, toward the end of that was everybody getting uncomfortable. I don't want to hear all about their maliciousness. I don't want to hear about envy and strife and greed and gossip. I don't want to hear about sexual immorality. All you have to do is turn the TV on to get that, right? Timeless truths, though, aren't they? Timeless truths. Paul's dealing with the same thing then that we deal with today. What Paul's talking about is the power of sin. Never forget this about sin, brothers and sisters. Three, three agents of sin exist. There's the sin that we do. We all sin. Amen? Because we all sin, we create a world of sin. Amen? And there is a power, and this is my favorite, because it lets us off the hook a little bit. I believe there is a power. He's the devil. Mike, as he led us through the great litany, we prayed about Satan. 
being crushed. Satan is prowling around like a lion. He's the third source of sin power in this world. But that's what Paul's saying, is there's a power called sin. So into this into these readings about power comes this gospel, which is all about relationship and power. And it's all about relationship in the last place we'd look. I don't have time. I wish this was a Netflix series. I wish I, I, wish I had thought about it and said, I'm going to do a six-part preaching series on these nearly 50 verses. Some of the, maybe the longest conversation we have with Jesus. We get to read and listen to. In your red-letter Bibles, there's lots of red in this. And look who it's with. It's with an enemy. How many times have we talked to people that don't agree with us? People who are at other ends of the political spectrum. People who hold other beliefs than we do. People who cut us off in traffic or people who cut in front of us in lines. People that we don't agree. How quickly do we write them off? I do. I get angry pretty quickly, I'm sorry to say. Jesus spends nearly 50 verses never losing his temper. We're not Jesus. But he's going to tell us that we can be like him when he pours this living water into us. He, he talks to this woman. Men didn't speak to women, especially men of different cultures. Men didn't speak um, to, to enemies. They fought with enemies. And so Jesus comes in a new form of power. Jesus comes in a transforming form of power. Jesus comes in a relational form of power and sits there and talks to this woman for nearly 50 verses. And what we see as the scripture goes on is her transformation. Did you notice how they kept going tete-a-tete? Did you notice how she'd bring up a point and Jesus would counter it? Not always exactly with what she was talking about, but with something else. But the clinching moment, the defining moment we hear toward the end is when she goes back to town and says, of course, this is the Messiah. I have just spent time with the Messiah, she tells her friends. And the Messiah stayed for two more days, Scripture told us. Imagine if Jesus, brothers and sisters, walked into the church this morning. And we would all, Jesus, it's you! And how would we know? Because he'd look like Jesus, right? And he'd come in, and then he would decide he'd stay with us for two days at Prince George Winyon. And I bet you, to the last person in here, every one of us would spend the rest of our lives telling everybody we met at our law offices, at our business offices, and hospitals, and schools, we met Jesus! The Messiah. Well, that's what happened to this woman. And how we know that she was transformed is because we hear words of repentance. He told me all that I ever did. It wasn't a list of all the good things, I'm sure. Of course it wasn't. We got the recording of the whole issue of all the husbands she's had. But this is a woman who's had her heart changed. And that's the, the one piece I want to pull out of this just for this morning. That a person who's encountered the power of God through the relationship of Jesus has three things happen to them. Three, three things happen. First, that encounter leaves them certain. Certain. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, certain. Willing to risk coronavirus, certain. That Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Amen? That's the first thing that happens. They are transformed. They know God not only provides for their physical needs, but better than that, brothers and sisters. He provides for our spiritual needs. To die from the coronavirus would be terrible. To, to die from cancer would be terrible. To die in an automobile accident would be horrible. To die without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is the worst thing of all. Is the worst thing of all. People who've met Jesus and his transforming power, experienced in a personal relationship, know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Secondly, they take... 
They take steps toward repentance. They take steps toward healing and a new life. It's sanctification. They begin to walk with God as they are slowly but surely changed. It's crockpot Christians again, one of my friend Mike's favorite uh, metaphors. People who over time begin to allow themselves more and more to be changed, to submit, to go to Canuga, maybe if they don't really want to go or they're uncomfortable with small groups. It's allowing themselves more and more to put themselves into the arms and into the care of God. Because, as Oswald Chambers says, nothing can cut into our hard hearts. Nothing can cut into the center of our lives like the Word of God. So hearing His Word, experiencing His Word, these people are daily in positions of repentance. And what they come to look like is people who can say, He's God and I'm not. He's the Alpha and the Omega, I'm not. He's Yahweh and I'm not. A quick story about that moment for me in my life. Our middle child is named Parks. And he was born uh, with a series of complications that led us to putting him in the intensive care unit at Medical University and eventually on a machine called ECMO, which takes the blood out of the body, lots of people who've had heart bypass, and it oxygenates it outside the body and then it's put back in. Um, while he was on that machine, his eyes were open, his hands and legs were moving, but his heart and lungs were not beating. And he did that for 13 days. And if that machine didn't work, and this is the best technology they had, they were just simply going to unplug him, and I don't mean this to sound crass, they told us this, and they were going to hand him back to us and say, I'm sorry, we've done all we can do. That did save him, but for 14 months, other things occurred, and what we eventually discovered was he had a brain fungus. And so early in his life, inside a little isolate, we laid our hands through rubber gloves with a priest, and we baptized him in the isolate, and we prayed last rites, because the doctors had pretty much said he wasn't going to make it. He wasn't going to make it. I've got friends here from that time in my life, and they remember exactly what that was like. He did make it. Parks did make it. Uh, he got married last year, praise the Lord. Um, and at the moment he was married and they said, I do, I heard the Lord say, he's her responsibility now. And I wanted to jump up and shout the A. <laughs> anyway, in the middle of all this, at about the 13th month, when I had gotten to the place of total exhaustion, thinking that he wasn't going to make it, I did something that most parents never imagined they'd do or ever want to do. I actually prayed in his room, Lord, let him die. I can't believe I did that, but I was exhausted. I'm not proud that I said that, but I was really tired. And I, and I do believe in God, and so I believe that if God would let him die, he would take him back to heaven, and this would end for Sue and I and our, our one child. And I heard the Lord say at that moment, like I've heard him speak before, he was mine, I gave him to you. I'll take him back when I'm ready. And like I said, Parks did live, Parks is married, uh, and Parks will come again. No, he'll be here. <laughs> he'll be here soon. He and his wife uh, will be here soon, and I'll be sure to point them out. Um, finally, the third, the third quality of a person like this woman who had a personal, powerful encounter with God is that, as Jesus says in this gospel, their lives will be filled with life-giving water. Anybody familiar with artesian springs? Anybody know what those are? Those are springs that just naturally come up from the earth. My brother and his wife are here. Um, they have several artesian springs that are coming up in their yard and one under their house. And what they've discovered is these things, this water, can't be stopped. That's what Jesus is telling her. If you knew who it was that was standing in front of you, you'd ask him for water that couldn't be stopped. Like when we go out in the ocean on these beautiful beaches that we have, sometimes we get hit by waves and knocked over, hopefully not hurt. But that water just can't be stopped. That's what Jesus says about the water that he will give. 
when we've encountered God in all of his power and in intimate relationship, we are filled with this artesian spring-like water. How many of us neglect our plants when we go away? We don't want to. We forget. They don't get watered. And we're gone for a couple weeks, and they're just there all dry and cracked and broken and wilted. And we pray over them. We say, Lord, please don't let my neighbors see these horrible plants. And then we pour water on them, and sometimes, miraculously, they come back to life, right? Aren't those moments of great rejoicing? I didn't kill it. It's still alive. That's what it's like to be filled with the power of this life-giving water. This give-me-a-drink-of-that-water water. What Ms. Lumpkin mentions over and over in her book is that the church here, Prince George Winyall, for 300 years, has grown because of its trust in the power of God and its relationships one to the other. She has person after person named who was their parents, who they married, who was the rector. I believe I'm 33rd. She, it's, it's wonderfully detailed. But what she reminded me of in this book, and what I want to say to close, is that um, Jesus is the only source of living water, brothers and sisters, that can save us and satisfy us. I believe he's been pouring that water out of this congregation for 300 years, just like the artesian springs in my brother's backyard. It can't be stopped. So two final quotes about water. The gospel of grace, an encounter with Christ, comes to us like a stream of water so that it might run through us. Coronavirus or not, when we leave here today, we're supposed to drip all over everybody the living water. Blow your nose and put the handkerchief back in your pocket. God's living water. And the second thing is from a poem by a German poet, Rauke. The fountain then, like the fountain in the backyard of the rectory. Last story, I've got to slip it in. Um, my brother who's here, he and his wife, they hung pictures with us all day yesterday over that beautiful home that's been lovingly repainted. Thank you all so much. What a, what a huge gift to be able to enjoy that beautiful space over there. But he came up with his wife, and we've been hanging pictures like crazy. And at one moment, when we were taking a break, he's very handy. He walked out of the back, and I opened the door, and he said, I think I'm going to get the fountain working. There's a fountain back there. And I went, what? And he said, yeah, it's easy. And I'm like, how many times have I heard him say that? You know, that's the last thing people say before they go to the emergency room. It's easy. Anyway, I, a couple minutes later, I look up, and here comes water. He's unclogged it. He's covered in black oak leaves. He's digging around in there. He's got the pump working, and water is just bubbling out of the top. But that's not all. That's the water that bubbles up in each one of us. It's bubbling. He starts to take a coat hanger and poke holes in these lion heads where water pours out of them. So there's two sounds you hear. You hear the sound of the water coming up in the fountain, which is the water Jesus talks about in us. And then you hear the sound of the water coming out of the fountain, dripping into the large basin at the bottom. That's the image I want to leave us with. Here's the fountain poet. The fountain then, each of us, mirrors the lives around us, receiving God's goodness that we are constantly overflowing with. Amen.